Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Hey, good to see you guys. Let's thank our team for doing such a wonderful job leading us out. Uh, this morning. Hey, listen, it is our heartbeat this morning as we do every Sunday as we gather together to connect everyone to the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And Sundays are a big part of that. I also want to say, hey, thank you. Um, thank you for all the texts. Aaron, come out here for, for a minute. My wife, Aaron and I, uh, last night, you know, our marriage really went through a rough patch. And uh, she was born in the state of Alabama. And, uh, and so as we sat there together with our family, it was a, it was a tough night. And I just want to let you know, all the techs checking in on us, our marriage has survived. I, I promised that I would say nothing of this game, really. I would not mention uh, the score. I wouldn't show support, but man, what a weekend. I mean, just it was this last week. And, uh, and anyway, I just, uh, I just I love you. And, and here's the deal. We're married 15 years this December. And yeah, thank you. Almost didn't make it. But here's the deal. For 15 years, on the third week of October, I've gone to bed the loser. Last night, she laid next to a winner for the first time in 15 years. And so, listen, I promise not to say anything about any of the scores. We're just going to keep it right at Jesus today. And uh, we do not gloat in our home, at our church. It is not becoming. And so with that being said, hey, welcome to Connect Church this Sunday. Hey, for the last couple of weeks, I've done my best in Scripture to make the case of really what was behind the greatness of John the Baptist. What, what is it that Jesus would say and call him the greatest of all time? And, and last week we really camped out that maybe his greatness was tied to the ethos by which he lived his life by. Let me change this slide in just a minute. <laughs> 15 years. Listen to what John said. John chapter 3, verse 30. That he must become greater And I must become less. Therein, the very key to greatness that we find in the life and the work of John the Baptist. It was more of Jesus and and a whole lot less of of John. Now this was evidence as we talked last week both in his his words and, and in his work. You see, John was the forerunner. The forerunner. The one who was to make way for and to make much of the front runner that is Jesus. And we think of this, John's greatness, sure, it was tied into the fact that his birth and his work were both promised and, and planned and prophesied about in the Old Testament long before he was born. I mean, speaking of his birth, there were angels involved, a mom and dad who were too old to have kids, a, a mom whose womb was barren, and yet God brought life to some incredible things surrounding it. But again, I make the argument that the very part of John's greatness that we can share in today was his desire for more of Jesus and less of me. We see this played out not only in his life, but hear me, where we go today is we see this is even evident in his death. Today, we close the book on John the Baptist in the Gospel of John. Why? Because he dies. Tragically, unjustly, 
inhumanely, yet heroically. But before he dies, we watch John the Baptist, the the greatest of all time according to Jesus, this biblical giant. We watch him begin to struggle some. And what he wrestles with is something I think that you and I will find all too familiar today. He begins to wrestle with some real doubt. Some real doubt. You ever doubted before? You ever doubted your faith and what you believe? I want to make this statement that even the greatest struggle sometimes with doubt. In the darkest, most desperate of night. I've been there. Has doubt ever crept into your mind about your faith, what you believe? Has doubt ever fought for your attention? Have you ever wondered, hey, God, are you there? Or maybe even harder, God, are you good? Have you ever had the thought, what if all that I believe, what if it is just wrong? Well, if you've answered any of those questions, if you ever asked those questions, you find yourself in good company today. In fact, in nearly all the New Testament texts that deal with someone doubting, it is a believer struggling with doubt and not an unbeliever. You see, doubt is a part of the story of so many biblical heroes. And it's also a part of the story of the hero whose life we've been exposing over the past couple of weeks in the Gospel of John. Yet today, from John the Baptist, you and I are going to learn what it is to deal doubt a fatal blow. To deal doubt, a fatal blow. So let's join John the Baptist in what perhaps is his most dark, his darkest and most desperate of nights. In John chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, turn there. In John chapter 3, verse 24, we find really a parenthetical note. John is busy baptizing. John, the gospel writer, is mentioning his work. And he gives us this parenthetical note. He says this. Now, all this baptizing work John the Baptist was doing, this was before John was put in prison. And for some of us who are maybe new to the Bible and new to faith, we're like, wait, wait a second. The goat? John the Baptist is in prison? What's he in for? Man, was he out at Walmart at 2 a.m., right? Did he get in a scuffle out? Is that why this guy's in, in prison? And you begin to think, no, maybe there's something more to this. You see, to make a long story short, King Herod Antipas divorced his wife. Now, the king in charge of the region that John was at, he divorced his wife so that he could marry his niece. Now, guys, listen. That sounds a little bit weird, doesn't here in Tennessee? Now, maybe in other states, that's kind of normal process, like the state of, I I was going to say Alabama, but I'm not going to rub it in today because I promised my, hey, but the guy marries his niece. Now, listen, this is sin, According to the word of God, Leviticus 18 and 20. And so John the Baptist calls the king out in his sin. And guess what? The king didn't like it. Imagine that, speaking truth to power, and the king doesn't like being called out in his sin. And yet, John does. But hey, listen, more than the king not liking what John had to say, the king's new niece wife, man, she was furious at John the Baptist. 
She wanted him dead. But old King Herod Antipas, though he was frustrated at John, according to Mark's gospel, says that he protected him. Why? In chapter 6, verse 20, knowing that John the Baptist was a righteous and holy man. And it also says that the king liked to listen to, to John. So the king... Didn't want him dead. But you've ever heard that phrase, a happy wife, happy life? Well, this comes into play because John then has John the Baptist, or King Herod has John the Baptist thrown into prison according to the Gospel of Mark. Throws him into prison. And you know what? If that's not bad enough, there's an infamous birthday party that takes place that would spell the end of John the Baptist. I want to show it to you, Matthew chapter 14. It says this, on Herod's birthday, remember, he's the king, the daughter of Herodias. Uh, Who's Herodias? Uh, This is the king's new niece wife, right? So her daughter danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Now, Now listen, we don't really know this daughter is young. We don't know if this is a recital or if this is risque, but we're kind of afraid to even go there. But all of a sudden, this daughter dances. The king is willing to do anything and everything. And so prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed. But because of his oaths, because he had a crowd as dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John the Baptist beheaded in prison. And I don't know how all of this went down. But here's what I do know. Just as Elijah in the Old Testament was hated by Queen Jezebel, so the one who came, according to Luke chapter 1, in the spirit and the power of Elijah was also hated by another king, Queen Herodias. But before his death, knowing the hatred the queen had for him, John probably was able to put two and two together. And realize there's a pretty good likelihood that he will soon die. John the Baptist must have, and in fact, we're going to see the evidence of it, must have gone through a, really, a couple of really dark and desperate nights of his soul. Um, here's, the, here's the prison, actually the remains of the prison in which John the Baptist was put in by the king Antipas. Now, this is called Machurus, and it's 1,100 feet above the Dead Sea. On three sides of it are deep, mountainous ravines. It is a place built for isolation and to absolutely torture those inside. John would be confined in a prison cell, more than likely bound by his hands and his feet. And some scholars would argue that he would spend some ten months in a cold, lonely Damp and dark prison. I'm going to tell you something. What was going on in John was exactly what this this prison was designed to do. And it plunged him in his darkest, most desperate of days. And so in the midst of that prison, knowing death would be soon, John sends two of his disciples Sends him to go find Jesus out and listen to find him and to ask him this question. Watch this. Are you, hey Jesus, John wants to know. Hey, John's in prison, but John wants to know, are you the one who's to come? Or should we expect someone else 
Hey, do you begin to see the doubt that begins to creep into his, his mind, his heart? And I guess the question I have of Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, is where is John's doubt sourced? What has happened to John the Baptist, the greatest of all time, in that now it seems as if he begins to doubt? Well, hey, first of all, I believe this, that his doubt was sourced in external pressures. And there was a lot happening to him. His looming death, his depressing imprisonment, has left John down, disappointed, and in dis despair. Exactly what Herod Antipas' prison was designed to do. In that prison cell of John, doubt began its discouraging, its disheartening, its disorienting work. Where? In the darkness. You know, I love, I love my kids, and uh, so we've got four kids, ten and under. Ten and under. Four kids in that age bracket. Man, you know what's crazy? Bedtime. You start out around 7.45, and then by 1.45 in the morning, everybody's in bed. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody's sleeping. And, and let me tell you what my kids love to do. They love to put off their bedtime. Dad, I need water. Hey, Dad, I don't have any clothes on. Hey, Dad, my hind end itches. This is every night. Uh, it, is, it is nuts. Dad, I'm scared. And, and so, man, we, we know their tactics. We are in on their game. But you know what's crazy? Is that it seems that when the night is the darkest for my kids, they begin to ask the deepest questions about who God is. And almost every night, one of my kids will sit up next to me and go, Hey, Dad, what's God like? Now, is there some procrastination? Yeah, they know. Yeah, are they trying to put it off? Maybe sure. But here's what I'm convinced for my kids. That the darker the night for them, the more they need to hear from me how good God is. That He's there. And that He loves them. And so you know what? I don't mind having those conversations. I say I have them figured out. They probably have me figured out. I kind of wonder if that's exactly what's going on with John the Baptist. In his darkest night, in his most desperate night, he just needs to be reassured that Jesus is God and that Jesus is there and that he's going to be okay with Jesus. Have you ever been in that tough spot where doubt came for you? Perhaps something happened to you or around you or in you that, that has left you emotionally and physically and spiritually drained, and it's in that seeming darkness that doubt begins to make its, its move. There were a lot of external pressures, but you know what? With John the Baptist, there were also some internal struggles. Some of the doubt he was facing came from some internal struggles. Hey, can I say something and then let me, let, let me flesh it out for you? I'm not sure that Jesus was really what John expected the whole time. 
Do you know how I know? Because I look at Jesus' disciples. I, I look at the thought pattern of that day of who the Messiah was to be. And you know what they were looking for? Man, they were looking for a commander-in-chief to come in to destroy the Romans and to set up God's people, the Israelites, as rulers. They were looking for a military conqueror. I love how um, one comment, comment, commentator put it. Because really, if maybe Jesus really didn't meet every one of John's expectations. He said when John sent for a word from Jesus, this might have been what he was expecting back. To hear from Jesus, our, my armies are massing Caesarea, the headquarters of the Ro- Roman government is about to fall. The sinners are being obliterated and judgment has begun. He would have expected Jesus to say, the wrath of God is on the march, but Jesus said the mercy of God is here. And, and I wonder sometimes if he didn't Expect Jesus to be somebody different than he was. Maybe he had just a different set of expectations, and thus doubt began to creep into his heart and into his mind. Did did I miss him? God, did I miss who your Messiah was? There have been many other claiming to be the Messiah. Is Jesus really the the one? In the darkness of doubt, John was confused and some internal conflict, some internal struggles began to spring up. You say, well, Anthony, where does our... Where where does that type of doubt come eternally? Let me say this. Eternal and internal struggles with doubt can spring from sin in our lives, which leads us to doubt. Our relationship with God can become broken because of sin, thus leading to even more doubt. Neglecting to read God's Word, neglecting to pray, neglecting to sit under the preaching of, of God's Word can lead to doubt. Doubt can be introduced into your heart and mind by, by science and scientists and professors of science and TV shows about science that try to explain creation without the Creator. Man, doubt can be sourced in so many places. And we see it here from John. That maybe, just maybe, Jesus wasn't who he expected him to be. But that Jesus was exactly who he needed him to be. Where does doubt come from? How about this? Not only is there external and internal, external pressures and internal struggles, but how about the parental struggle? Y'all ever heard somebody say, that? hey, the reason I worry is because my mama worried? And my grandmama worried. And then my great-grandmama, have you ever heard a guy go, look, the reason I have a temper is because my daddy had a temper. Right? Well, hey, this is not the first time that we see doubt come up in John's family tree. Remember Zechariah, John's daddy? He doubted that God could give him and Elizabeth a son in their old age and questioned the angel Gabriel on God's word. So you know what Gabriel did? (laughs) He stopped up his ears and shut his mouth until his son John the Baptist was born. He took his hearing and took his voice as he disciplines John the Baptist's daddy, Zechariah, as that angel disciplined him in his doubt. You know what I think? Doubt seems to run in the family. A little bit for John the Baptist. Hey, but can I tell you something, church? Doubt not only runs in the family for John the Baptist, but it also runs through the family of God. The church. We see throughout its history, 
And by the way, when we speak of doubt, I, I want to distinguish, and I will a little bit later on, but I'm not speaking of doubt that leads to unbelief, but I'm speaking of doubt that can rise up in the believer that leads to a longing, a longing for more of God. And it's the type of doubt we see in John the Baptist. Tim Keller put it this way, and, and I love this. He's one of my favorite pastors. He says this, A faith without some doubts is like a human body with no antibodies in it. People who blindly go through life too busy or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy, John the Baptist case, or the probing questions of smart skeptics. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Hey, listen, doubts are a real thing at times for believers. I mean, we can act super spiritual and ask, act as if that never happens. But I know it to be true. And you know it to be true. There's a stigma in the church that doubts aren't welcome. That doubt always means a lack of faith. And I'm here to tell you that the presence of doubt does not always mean an absence of faith. Rather, doubt can be a trying of faith. Doubt can serve as the proving ground upon which our faith is made strong. And this is exactly what Jesus does to John the Baptist's doubt. You see, Jesus takes John's doubt and uses it as a doorway to strengthen his faith. As I mentioned, there's two main types of doubt that we encounter today. There's doubt that leads to unbelief and doubt that leads to longing. One is sin and one is struggle. There's a doubt that leads to unbelief and is content with the darkness and there's John's doubt, which is a doubt that leads to longing to understand and a longing for light. And so my question is, is what did Jesus do with John's doubt? Can you imagine being worried about how Jesus would respond. But maybe the better question is, is what did John do with his doubts? Did you catch it back when I quoted Matthew chapter 11, verse 2? What did, how, how did John deal with his doubt? What did John do with his doubt? You ready? He sent his doubts to Jesus. And I wonder just maybe if that's exactly what we ought to do is when it comes to the doubts that rise up in our life, maybe in the, in the darkest of nights, in, the, in that, those deep moments of, of desperateness, what if we were to send our doubts to Jesus? Well, let me ask you, what does Jesus do with John the Baptist's doubt? Watch this. In Matthew chapter 11, as the disciples come to Jesus, go, hey, Jesus, John is asking, are you the, are you the one? Are you the Savior promised in the Old Testament? Are you, are you Him? Or should we be expecting somebody else? Jesus replied, I love this. Hey, by the way, it's almost as if Jesus grabs a hold of a mic and just drops it right on John's doubt here. He says this, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. And then Jesus become, begins to do some incredible things. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And it amazes like, hey, listen, I understand his doubts. He takes the mic. He drops them on his doubts and says, go tell him what you see. 
Jesus with the questions that John's doubt bring? Jesus answered John's doubts with himself. With himself. He turns to the word, and some 700 years before this moment, Isaiah would say, and when he comes, remember the one John was asking about, the one who's to come, and when he does come, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Man, we did this in our living room last night, but Jesus took it to a whole different level. He took it to a whole different level and said, not only, John, am I going to answer your doubts with me, but let me remind you of the promises of God. That you find in me, watch this in Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings or good news to the poor. You know what Jesus does? Jesus gives John's doubt a dose of faith. Jesus points John to himself and by pointing John to the very words of God. One of the greatest weapons against doubt is the word of God. The word of God is the battleground where doubt is decimated, destroyed, and is defeated. But then something is said. Something happens that gives context to where we have been the past two weeks in John the Baptist's life. Says this in Matthew 11, verse 6. Jesus begins to question the crowd, and he says, Yes, I tell you, speaking to John the Baptist, he was more than a prophet. This is the one who was, who, whom about was written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Now, now listen to this. Um, John's disciples have already brought to Jesus his doubts. Jesus has already dropped the mic on John's doubt. And this is what Jesus has to say about John the Baptist. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Isn't it amazing that Jesus calls John the Baptist the greatest after one of his weakest moments Due to doubt. You see, John's doubt led him to a longing for more of Jesus. Hey, believer, doubt that leads you to longing more of Jesus will always be met with Jesus. You ready? As long as you send your doubts to him. <laughs> hey, before you go to TikTok... Send your doubts to Jesus. Hey, before you start watching YouTube videos, send your doubts to Jesus. Can I say something too? There is a point in time where doubts can become debilitating and can disable the believer. And I'm going to tell you something. That's not God's design for your life in Christ. Doubt should not be debilitating for any believer. Greg Morrison, in the conversation about a believer in doubt, said this. A lifetime of weak and wobbly faith is neither God-honoring nor safe. This weakness, unlike Paul's in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, is not a strength. It is not a virtue. It is not humility. It's a very serious problem. Doubt that is not dealt with and dealt a fatal blow by faith dishonors the Lord and disables the believer. So know that. And so today we deal with doubt that does rise up sometimes in the darkest of nights, in the most desperate of moments, in what we do. So what do we do with our doubts? Number one, 
Be honest about your doubt. Do not hide it. Be honest about your doubt. Do not hide it. Can I tell you what I know about doubt? Like other bad things, doubt, doubt grows in dark places. Doubt grows in dark places. I want to read this in some, and I'm going to let our technical team know. I think my mic's on the way out. We might need a plan B here in just a minute. But doubt grows in dark places. In Psalm 73, this psalmist is, is struggling to make sense of human suffering and these doubts he has, not only about God, but about the work that God is doing, about how it seems that good and honest people are struggling and, and bad and wicked people are having their day in the sun. And man, he's just struggling. And, and listen to how this doubt kind of concludes how it v-lines to God and says this in Psalm 73 when my soul was embittered when I was pricked in heart I was brutish and I was ignorant I was like a beast towards you nevertheless I am continually with you you hold my right hand you guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory the very questions and doubts that confronted the psalmist's faith, his relationship with God, God used to draw him closer to himself. Hear me, church. Be honest about your doubts and do not hide them. The church ought to be the safest place on the planet to go, man, I, I am struggling with some deep questions. I, I am, I'm, I'm hurting here. I have a doubt that leads to longing to understand. Help me understand. Help me in my unbelief. And here's the second thing. What do I do with my doubt? Second thing is this. Deal your doubt the fatal blow of faith. Martin Luther would say this. I love this. He would say, God our Father has made all things depend on faith so that whoever has faith will have everything and whoever does not have faith will have nothing. Isn't that good? Isn't that a, isn't a pretty incredible word? You know what that means? That all the reasoning in the world cannot eradicate your doubts. That all the intelligence and the knowledge you can gain cannot deal doubt a knockout blow. Only faith can. Hey, listen to me, church. If you are looking a, a way around faith to eradicate your doubt, you will never find that pathway. Why? Because God designed for faith to be the answer to all our doubts. Only faith can. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, be reminded, we live by what? Faith. We live by faith. You say, well, anything listen, you're talking about faith. What do you mean by that? Well, the author of Hebrews says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's a reminder that seeing is not always believing, but that truly believing is seeing what God is up to. St. Augustine would say this, and I love this, an early church father. He would say, understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore, seek not to understand so that you may believe, but believe so that you may understand. Isn't that good? I mean, how many times do we get that backwards? How many times do we want to understand so that we can believe when really faith is all about believing so that you might understand? We must deal doubt the very fatal blow 
that is faith. You say, well, Anthony, what does faith look like? Can I show you a passage? This passage always chokes me out. I'm, I'm going to try to make my way through. Watch this in First Peter 1, 8 through 9. Though you've not seen him, and you love him. I mean, I love that because, man, I've never seen Jesus. Man, I love him with everything. I love him with every ounce of my heart and my life. I love him with my doubts. I've never seen him. And even though you do not see him, now watch this, you believe in him. And are filled, watch this, with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Man, I love that because you know what? I, I wish I could fully convey. Man, it's my job to speak. And I don't have the vocabulary or the words to tell you the joy that I found in Christ. Except for I just wish everybody could know the joy that is Jesus. And I've never seen him. But I love him. Man, I've never put my hands on him. But I believe in him. And I'm telling you, there is an inexpressible and a glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So what does Paul say? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, what do we do with this faith? Watch this, be on your guard. Hey, when doubt comes, when fear comes, be on your guard. Stand firm where? In the faith. Be courageous and be strong. But can I tell you something? Man, there are many times in my life where I am neither courageous nor am I strong. And so let, let me give you where I go. When in the darkest of nights, in the most desperate of moments, what happens when you and I don't feel all too courageous? When really we're not too strong. Can I just give you a passage that tells you what I do when I cannot be courageous or strong I just cling to Jesus I mean I just hold on to with everything I have my soul clings to you your right hand upholds me can I paraphrase this in the Anthony Kendall translation when I can't be courageous or strong I just cling to Jesus and you know what he does he holds me he holds me. When doubts seem too great, I cling to him and he holds me. God's answer to our doubts is faith. So we do as Hebrews 12 too, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And can I give you one last point and one story to close? When it comes to, well, how do we deal? What do we do with our doubts? Be honest. Don't hide them. Deal your doubt, the fatal blow of faith, and turn your doubt into doorways of deeper joy with Jesus. I love this. This was in an article by Experiencing God, that phrasing. Turn your doubt into doorways of deeper joy in Jesus. Hey, can I, can I challenge you something, believers? In a world where everybody seems to be deconstructing their faith, why not instead deliver a fatal blow to doubt by diving into your faith, digging deeper into God's word by determining not to bow out and drawing near to God? You see, James chapter 4, verse 8 reminds us this, that if you draw near to God, that he will draw near to you. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, and I'm going to use a paraphrase of the Bible called the Message Bible by Eugene Peterson. But watch this. 
We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. Doesn't that sometimes feel like our faith? I bet you John the Baptist say, amen. But it won't be long before the weather clears. The sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. So, Anthony, what do we do with our doubts? As a believer, what do we do with the doubts that come in the darkest of nights, in the most desperate of moments? One simple thing. Send your doubts to Jesus. Like John did. Send your doubts to Jesus. During the terrible days in 1940 and 41, the Blitzkrieg was a relentless and indiscriminate bombing of British towns and cities. This is a bombing that took place in London in 1940. And out of this war, out of this incredibly terrible and tragic time in our history come incredible stories of heroism and faith. One such story was that of a father who under air raid sirens and under the the cover of darkness was finding shelter for him and his son who he had just by his hand. They ducked into a building. The bombs began to fall from Hitler's air force and the building that they were in was struck. And so fearing that the building would collapse, the father grabbed hold of his son and he ran out into the street where there was a a large hole, a gaping hole in the pavement of that street. It was dark out. The only light that was visible were from fires that were burning on the buildings. And all of a sudden, the father let go of his son's hand and he jumped inside of this dark hole. His little boy was terrified until he heard a voice from the hole saying, Son, Jump to me. Son, jump down. And this little boy was terrified. But he heard his father's voice and he simply yelled back into the hole, Dad, I I can't see you, Daddy. I can't see you. But the father looked up against a sky tinted by the, the red of burning buildings. And called out again to the silhouette of his son. But I can see you. Jump. I can can see you. Jump. And the boy jumped down into the dark hole. Into the arms of his father. Because he could trust his father. You see, our faith in Christ enables us to face life or even to meet death, to wrestle and to win against doubt, not because we can see, but with the certainty that we are seen by our Father. Not that we know all the answers, rather that we are known by God. Take your doubts and send them to Jesus.
Let's pray together, can we? All across the room, and I, I, there's times where I preach messages where I feel like it kind of, it hits everybody in the room, but I, I think we've all been here, or at least most of us, in our walk with Christ. Hey, what are the doubts that you have had or the doubts that you have right now? Maybe they've never been spoken. Maybe they've just merely been a struggle internally. Hey, let me ask you, what external pressures have happened to you or around you or in you that have allowed you to know some of the darkest of the nights, the most desperate of moments where, where doubt has begun to grow in the darkness? And right now, I think in your heart, you know exactly who and what those doubts are. And here's what I want to do. Before we just sing a song and close out in a moment, hey, would you send those doubts to Jesus? I mean, hey, don't, don't hide them. Be honest with them. Hey, send your doubts to Jesus. Allow Him to deal your doubt a fatal blow with faith in Himself. Send your doubts to Jesus. And so I just want to provide the next couple of minutes for every believer to not only name, but to be honest with Jesus about your doubts and to do as John the Baptist did and send your doubts to Jesus. And by the way, sending our doubts to Jesus is an act of faith. Because guess what? I can't see him either. But I know he's here. Man, at no point in this sermon was I able to reach out and just hold him. But by faith, I know even right now he's holding me. And I haven't seen him, but I love him. And I love him. I haven't seen him, but I believe in him. And so today with you, I send every doubt that creeps up. I send them to Jesus. As believers are praying, I know that there are those who might be in this room, who there is a doubt to unbelief that you've been living under. You've yet to take a step of faith because there's just still too much doubt about, about God, about His Son, Jesus. Let, let me tell you something. What a hard and what a difficult place to be to live your life in unbelief and to die in unbelief. So much of this life requires faith. And the good news of the Gospel is that you can take your faith and you can place it in Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, I triple dog dare you because I know this, He will never let you down. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.